thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and good evening everybody and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, this this lovely Monday evening. I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but it's starting to perk up a little bit here in Manchester. And really delighted that you've chosen to spend a little bit of time with us this evening. Um, got three topics to discuss between now and nine o'clock. Uh, topic one: Has behaviour got worse in the last five years? Somebody told me that we should do pre-pandemic and post-pandemic behavior but i feel as though that would be i don't know i feel like we're missing a trick there so i've invited barry smith who's going to join us in just a second in fact he's just joined us now barry we'll just check you can hear us if you want to unmute yourself bottom left can you hear me sir hello how are you i'm tickety boo tickety boo how are you excellent not too bad um i'll just finish my little quaint introduction to what we're going to be talking about um i'm always so i was enjoying it brilliant so um has behavior got worse in the last five years and obviously if you want to get involved in this conversation at any point during the show this evening then you absolutely can um all you have to do is click the little reply icon in the bottom right and the little speech bubble icon or you can if you even want to speak at any point, ask a question, get involved. You can click the little button in the bottom left-hand side, the little um, little speech icon, and you can actually call in and get involved in the chat. Nathan is adminning the space this evening. Good evening to you, Nathan. And everyone at TTR welcomes you right now. Um, so has behaviour got worse? Um, that's the first topic. Then we're going to move on after that to... Uh, if we if we get chance, actually, Barry, I will ask you about Ofsted banners and Ofsted celebrations. Um, if we if we get the chance and, and hear your thoughts on the whole the whole thing, um, and then finally, uh, to finish off the whole show, we are talking about maths up to eighteen. Um, I've got Reem Ibrahim coming on to talk about that. Also, Mark McCourt is going to join us at around eight o'clock or just past eight to talk about the maths. For Raw, um, is that if that's what we'll call it. Um, so loads of interesting guests coming up this evening. No least, starting with Barry Smith. Barry, I'll let you introduce yourself really quickly to everyone in case anyone doesn't know you. Um, just tell everyone a little bit about you. Okie doke. Right, I'm Barry Smith. Um, oh, I've been teaching a million years. Um, I was a trainer for many years. Then I was one of the founders of Michaela. Then I left Michaela. Became the head of charter. That was a huge success as a turnaround. And then CST Trust in London, back in London again. And now I do freelance training around the country. I do some MFL stuff because that's what I was first well known for because everyone would come to Michaela and go, bloody hell, those kids are really good at French. How do you do that? Um, but most of the time, I do a lot of culture and behavior stuff. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to ask you, first of all, the key question, first question for this evening. There's three key questions, but the first one is, has behaviour got worse in the last five years in schools? Now, I did a survey on my Twitter account a few days ago. It had 6,000 or more respondents and 69% said that behaviour had got worse. 
Do you, oh, significantly worse, I should say. Do you agree with them? Mm. Teacher Top did something yes. as well, didn't they? And yes. It said, and I don't know what, you might remember that. Um, and it said something, a lot of people said, top priority for SLT should be behaviour. Um, look, it's all anecdotal. Well, I'm going to say it's anecdotal. I can't say categorically whether it's got better or worse. I suspect it probably has got worse. It, listen, it was never good. I started teaching in 97. It wasn't good then. I've got memories of my own childhood, you know, in the 80s and yeah. 70s. And it wasn't good then. Um, I think... The problems that we have now, they are related to Ofsted and they're related to social media in terms of, you know, you look at social media and, and there's an awful lot of PR out there, people claiming that their schools are Shangri-La. Well, I've been to some of those schools and they're not Shangri-La. Um, so there's an awful lot of, it's PR. Twitter is a PR machine. Um, there's, a, there's a fear of parents. Because obviously, if you if you annoy parents, parents yeah, parents never go through the normal channels, or some parents don't go through normal channels if they're unhappy about something. So they go straight to Ofsted, or they go straight to the press. Um, schools are frightened of parents. Parents schools are frightened of SEND activists because the SEND labels are often used against schools straight away as soon as you try to raise standards, be more demanding. Uh, it doesn't matter how supportive or clear you are with kids somebody will throw that back at you. Oh, this isn't possible for SEND. And again, we all know Ofsted are obsessed with SEND, Ofsted are obsessed with safeguarding. So therefore schools tend to go, I tell you what, no, no, we'll, we'll take our foot off the gas because the value of that badge, good, outstanding, avoiding the RI, avoiding inadequate. I mean, that badge is so, so, so valuable. So people, they play the game. And we all know that. You, you know what? In schools, there's so much time and effort put into. Do you think Ofsted like this? If we school down the road, I heard the school down the road was inspectors, right? And the inspector like this. Oh, we'll do that then. Quickly, put some posters up. That's what the sector has become, and that's a real shame. It holds us all back. I often say I think Ofsted is the greatest impediment to real school improvement because we're all dancing around, and I think that's why behaviour isn't addressed as clearly as. Well, it I want to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit there barry because that's not like you because <laughs> i mean because <laughs> because i want to i want to ask you like as much as i, I want to ask because you've mentioned Ofsted there in the first sentence when it comes to declining behavior standards let's say not necessarily declining student uh, behavior standards but declining behavior standards that wouldn't necessarily be the first thing that i think people would think of when it comes to Ofsted, if you see what I mean, in terms of their criticisms. I mean, where's that sort of thing coming from for you? Why, why, do, why are you linking well, that? Why, why aren't we more... Why aren't SLT, generally, are not as strong as they should be with parents, and they're not as strong as they should be with really badly behaved kids. Why? Because they're fright people are often frightened of parents. They're frightened of parents. They're frightened of parents going to Ofsted, parents going to the press, going to the press, getting bad... Um, publicity bad press because oh will Ofsted then look through all of our press before they come to us um people are terrified of standing up to really badly behaved kids because it's, it's virtually impossible to pex a kid we know that and i'm not saying pexing or even suspensions are the answer but they're part of the jigsaw uh, slt are scared of Ofsted, so it's take your foot off the gas Let's not annoy the mm. kids. Let's not annoy the parents. We're going to do a parental survey. We're going to do um, pupil surveys. We want them to say nice things. Are you sort of saying the less conflict, the better? 
because obviously the less attention you draw to there's an element of that but there's it's school culture is what it's all about right you've got to strip back and you've got to go right what do you want this school to look like from the moment we open the gates in the morning to the moment the last child leaves the site and it should be i talk about it all the time this should be a culture built upon genuine mutual respect warm welcoming and friendly now you have to teach kids that and a lot of that it is an anathema to some kids their home environment is not warm welcoming and friendly what they think is this is normal the way we talk to each other actually no it's rude you know, somebody did earlier on Twitter, um, a nice bloke, um, and he said, oh, I think it's good, you know, that we say, we, we use that language, that's unacceptable behaviour. I think that's a terrible word. I think we should be saying to people, not in the heat of the moment, because you want to de-escalate uh, behaviour, but we need to be addressing, look, not his behaviour was unacceptable. His behaviour was incredibly rude, it was contemptuous, it was aggressive, it was intimidating. I always encourage people when they're filming, filming um, filling in, sorry, uh, you know, you've got documentation to fill in if there's been an incident and you, you're building up logs on a kid's file. Don't sugar the pill. Say exactly how it was. Have Write the kid's comments in capital letters. Read them out to governors. And then he told me to F off. And then he called me a C. And then he... Say how he was intimidating. Say how he tried to physically intimidate you. Um, be honest about what you're going through on a daily basis. I think we sugar the pill too much. And when I talk about that, as if, and people, somebody sent me a message the other day on Twitter, going, oh, you live in a bubble. Maybe I do, because I tend to go to a lot of rough schools, okay? People have me in because they go, listen, we want, they're serious about changing the culture in their school. They're going to be bold. That's, you wouldn't have me in if you weren't prepared to be serious, you weren't prepared to be bold. But that's what I'm seeing in schools. I see schools where teachers are frightened of kids, so they back off. So the corridors, the public areas become a bit of a no man's land. Teachers who are on duty nominally because they're not talking to the kids, they're not interacting with the kids because they're a bit frightened of the kids. The kids sense that. But is that, but I, I suppose my question to you is, has that always been the case? Have, has that always been the case? I think there's always been an element of that. As a kid, as a kid, I went to a comprehensive school, but it was streamed. So I was in the top stream. So I generally saw nice kids, right? And, but then a lot of schools I've worked in, I would always advocate streaming as well, because then you can really teach better. You can teach more effectively. You can, you see a lot of the problems we have as well. Teaching often needs an awful lot of work mm -hmm. and that, and resources need an awful lot of work. Now we're not supposed to say that either. We're supposed to present all teachers are amazing. Well, no, all teachers aren't amazing. To be honest, their teacher training initially was not good. What if you're a teacher who hasn't had good teacher training, then you, not, you haven't got good resources. Maybe your subject knowledge is not that good. Maybe you've never worked in a good school. You've never had a good mentor. How would you know what really good teaching looks like? How would you know what, I was going to call it high standards. They're not high standards. I, I always advocate we should have a school where any child can go up to any adult. Hello, sir, how are you today? Oh, very well, thanks. How are you? We should be able to talk to each other like that in schools. But what we get often is kids head down, curl lip, barely speaking to the adult. People think that's normal. Oh, well, you know, it's just the way kids are. It isn't. If you go to a really well-run school, the kids are a delight to be around. Doesn't mean to say they come in the door like that, but the culture of the school means it's normal, it's acceptable to collaborate, to work with the teachers. And, and in too many schools, it's not like that. There's a real them and us. There's a real divide between teachers and adults. Just to say welcome to everybody if you're just joining us. We are discussing... Has behaviour in schools got worse in the last five years? With um, Barry Smith's joined me, but if you would like 
to join this conversation, then just click the little icon. Bottom left-hand side, there's a little um, microphone icon. You can click that. You can join in um, and, and tell us what your thoughts are. Do you think that behaviour in schools has got worse in the last five years? Um, this show is brought to you in association with John Cat. You can see them pinned at the top of the space if you're interested in building up or growing your cpd collection then click that link head over to johncatbookshop.com have a look at the titles that they have available for you um, lots of really cool new releases professional development wise and um, that you can see on the homepage. um barry you mentioned earlier about and, and i sort of picked up on this because you said it in the first couple of minutes you mentioned um send diagnosis now yeah I wondered if, because you just sort of mentioned it, I was wondering if you can expand on that. I think it's amazing. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. I don't like the way we label kids too readily. I'm very, very conscious. I'm very... I think we need to look at the kids' background, the family... You know, would this kid be labelled... Who has labelled the kids send? And are we confident in that person's ability to diagnose? And is that label helping the child? It really worries me. I think we need to look at kids as... In, I'm sick of people going, oh, whenever you try and raise standards in a school, there'll always be somebody... Well, with the SEND kids can't do that. What are you on about? That's absolute nonsense, right? Stop labelling kids and limiting kids. Let's look at... Let's look at the kid's family background. Let's look at these parents. Let's look at these siblings. Let's look at these friendship group. Let's look at these attendants. Let's look at these literacy... Let's look at all of the factors that make up this kid rather than just give him a label. If he'd gone to, did he go to a not very good junior school? Did he go, has he, has he, have, his, have his parents failed him? Have his teachers failed him? Have his, has his peer group failed him? Are we failing him? What is the behavior like in the lessons, that he, in the classes that he attends? There are all these factors. And I just think we're too, we're too keen to label kids. And I worry about the evidence behind that. Um, I, and remember, SEND is a huge phenomenon in the Anglosphere, US, us, Australia, New Zealand. In the rest of the world, much less so. So it's a cultural phenomenon as well. You meet kids and you know instantly, oh, there's something a bit different about that kid. Yeah, of course you do. But when it comes to really bad behavior, that's particularly where I worry about the send because Every time you talk to a parent and say, listen, listen, little Johnny's not working well, he's rude, he's this, he's that, he's the other, and she'll go, he's send, he's send, he's send, he's send, he's got ADHD, has he got a diagnosis? No, but I just know it. And then you have to go all around that, meet the parents, talk to the parents, do the parents support the kid? There are all of these, what's his attendance like? Is he late every day? Uh, does he keep missing period one every day? Is this why he's falling behind? We think he's volatile and, oh, that could be ADHD. Have you met his mother? Because that's exactly how his mother talks. And it's all of those factors. I don't, I don't want to label a kid and go, okay, you've got something innately wrong with you, in inverted uh, uh, commas, something that can't be changed. That's it. End of story. Can't do anything. No, 
Maybe there's not. Maybe he's been failed by the adults in his life, and maybe by giving him a label, we're still failing him. Because I see people having very low expectations for kids, and I think that's, that's such, such such a shame. I've worked with so many kids. Look, Michaela's a classic case, right? Michaela would take in so many kids that in year six were off the wall, right? And those kids, they would, they would settle over time, and you'd work with them, and you'd be incredibly consistent, and those kids would do... Inc- the kids that had SEND in theory, and Michaela ended up leaving with sevens and eights. Um, the charter, when I first got there, there were kids under furniture for safety. There were kids climbing in trees for safety. Which It was like a, almost like a psychiatric unit. But because the behaviour improved, those kids, some of them were still, you know, they were still going to have issues, but, God, their behaviour, their, their sense of um, just... They were happier kids. They were comfortable with themselves. Other people around them were comfortable and supportive of them. When you get the culture right, labelling people be very, very dubious. Do you... I, I know you've said a lot there, Barry. I'm trying to get, trying to get through it all, what you said, but... I tend to rant. <laughs> but, the, but, you know, you, you made some really interesting points, but... One of the things I was going to say, though, is some of the diagnosis has obviously been done clinically. And I mean, what would you say? I'll give you one example. Um, You know, many of the associations um, around autism, ASD, all these different associations, many of them have said, as one specific example, that certain students, that students may find keeping eye contact difficult. Right. Many of them, many of them have said that. So if that's the case, I know early on you said, well, we, we, we just need to sort of no, I'm not saying you're saying ignore the diagnosis. I'm not suggesting you're I'm saying, saying be sceptical. I'm saying yeah, be sceptical. Saying, exactly. I'm saying treat so, people as individuals. I've worked with countless kids. Look, you've got to use a bit of nose. Right. You've got to use a bit of nose. And I hate this. Carte blanche. OK. The reason I shape is an acronym I use. Um, S-H-A-P-E full sentences hello sir what's your name my name's Tom Tom grunting Tom at me is no good right try it again Tom good lad right remember you use full sentences it sounds confident right oh my name's Tom sir oh that sounds much better Tom when you speak though H take your hand away from your mouth because it doesn't look very confident does it A articulate because remember when you're going to job interviews college interviews university interviews I want you to sound really confident want to hear every single word you say big voice be nice and loud Project your voice, fill the room with your university voice, good, confident eye contact. We're not eyeballing each other, but you look at somebody. Now, what you get a lot from SEND activists, and that's what they are, some of them. Well, um, how would you define an activist, though, as, as opposed to someone who's just interested in SEND? I would say an activist is somebody that is very ideological, and they, they, every time they come up with that, SEND kids can't do that. Again, this blanket statement. Let's look at individuals. I've worked with lots of kids. That gen- you can tell there's something not quite right. There's something, and maybe they've had a, a diagnosis of autism, whatever it may be, but they can make eye contact. And you speak to them every day, and the more you speak to them, the better they get. You're not in their face screaming at them, going, eyes, boy, eyes. No, but that is the kind of image that some people love to portray. Somebody that has standards. Somebody, look, I want kids to have a nice life. I want them to go out and get a job. I don't want them to be victims. I don't want them to be... As a child, I used to blink. I don't know, today's money, it would be year eight, year nine. I was very shy, very nervous kid, and I would blink, 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 constantly. 
don't know how I stopped it, but I stopped it. I don't want people to pander at children. I want people to build relationships with the children, talk to children, treat them as individuals, show them, actually, you know, you can get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I was listening to something earlier today, actually, about um, some work being done with kids with Tourette's, real serious Tourette's, and how those kids improved. Now, this may still be an issue, but everybody can improve. And I don't like this, oh, no, that's it, can't do anything, can't expect anything of people. Well, no, because they, we can all improve, and we use a bit of nose, and we use a bit of sensitivity, and we support and challenge children. I don't like this, oh, but I love children so much that I ask nothing of them. And I think there's too much of that in society. I mean, and, and welcome, by the way, to Reem, who's going to be speaking in, 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 in after we finish this topic, basically. Um, but Reem, I've added you as a, as a speaker. You can just sort of, um, well, enjoy the chat for the time being. <laughs> um, but uh, Barry, I, I wanted to ask you, about because I want to sort of bring this back to has behavior got worse in the last five years? Um, and just I don't want to completely paraphrase what you've said so far, but you've said I, I wanted to pick up on something you said about a skepticism on send diagnosis, and I wanted to ask you there will be those who will say it's not the teacher's place to be skeptical of diagnosis because a teacher is not qualified to be skeptical if that makes sense i think it's a teacher's place to treat people as individuals and look at them and think okay i'm going to push this kid i'm going to see what this kid's capable of i'm going to support this child and i'm going to push them at the same time that's our job our, look i'm just be wary of i told i was talking to somebody the other day um from uh, a pupil referral unit and we're having this conversation, and they were going, yeah, they feel that, that there are so-called professionals. Some are very keen to give a diagnosis. Some are less keen to give a diagnosis. Some are bullied by um, parents to give a diagnosis. It goes, you can pay to have a diagnosis, yeah? I know a head teacher who um, paid to have a diagnosis of dyslexia and something else because he said, well, then I say to parents, well, I've got dyslexia, and I've got this, and I've got that. And he uses it for his own benefit, yeah? How, it, what, in what sense? Like, what benefit? Because <laughs> parents will go, oh, but you don't understand my child. My child is this, this, and this. And he goes, well, I'm that, and I'm that, and I'm that. Just okay. look, follow the money. Follow the money. Be sceptical is what I'm always going to say. Yeah. Treat kids as individuals. Look, the, the Ritalin market is worth Billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars, and it's growing. There's, but let's imagine them their hills, right? So just be aware. And um, maybe if you took kids off their mobile phones, they'd be able to communicate better with people. Maybe if you did insist that we have got you, know, you have a break time, lunch time. What do I always advocate? Lesson change of us. We're stopping. We're slowing kids down. We're hello, Johnny. How are you? Had a good day. Any golden tickets? Any merits? Nice to see you. Jasmine, I am lovely. Nice. To issue it in good life, looking very smart. Talk to kids, build relationships with kids, make a human connection, do more of that. And every time I've done it, and I've been teaching 25 years, you see the rewards. You see the, the shyest kids, the, the, the kids that are most socially ill at ease. When they know you're going to talk to them regularly, they start to make and build a relationship with you. But you know, that's only a part of our job. Let's not make that. 
the, the, the center of everything because the center of everything should be you know essentially you're there to get kids through a, a curriculum get them through to an exam and hopefully they'll do well at the exam to take them to the next stage but instead we seem to, to muddy are we meant to be a school teaching academic subjects are we meant to be social services are we meant to be what are we meant to be and we've got to think about that more clearly as well that's not to say oh exams are everything no but exams are very important for those kids because i want those kids to believe in themselves have evidence that if you work hard you succeed and then exams will open doors to the next stage in their life so there's well, all of those factors you've got a fan actually um because um nilam has has um, tweeted follow the money with the emoji of the kind yeah. of perfect emoji plus the the sick laughing dollar face emoji it's and an the industry bags emoji. Look, if you if you Google you you Google a search on SEND, you will you can you can find lots and lots and lots of courses money. You can find lots and lots of products. Look at all these bloody overlays for dyslexia and all this nonsense. Come on, right? There's an awful lot. Of, there's an industry out there. Just some of it will be well intentioned. Some of these people will be doing a great job. Okay, some of them will be. But in any industry, there's somebody going. Mm, there's a market to be exploited there. This is. But surely to, to get like to get a diagnosis though, surely you have to follow set protocols and processes. Like I heard this was a few months ago on Twitter. I was talking about the the, the a diagnosis for send, and I can't remember the the, um, the specific need that we were talking about. But people were saying that the process to get a diagnosis is quite stringent. Like, you can't just go, I've got a diagnosis. Like, you have to go through months and months, a lot of different things. So I suppose all I'm saying is, if, 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 if whether, whether it's parent-driven or whatever, it, does, it doesn't matter. If they've been through that stringent process, many would say that we just need to trust that, that, that you know, that, that's a stringent process. When you look at an AHCP, do you ever read an AHCP and you think that's useful? Because I don't, or very rarely, right? So what I'm saying is, yeah, I think we should be sceptical. We're professionals too, in theory. So treat children as individuals. That's what I'm looking at. And where you're given advice and you think, oh, yeah, that all, that's all working. If you're given advice and it's not working, I'm not going to follow advice for a long period of time. If it's not working, I'm going to have to go, listen, something's wrong here. Something's not working. Be aware of the child as an individual. So you might be somebody that's see a science teacher, maths teacher, English teacher. You might see that child for five hours a week. You will know that child far better than anybody that's done a diagnosis on him. And you might be seeing for five hours a week for a year, for two years, for a whole case stage. So, you know, value your own opinion. What what is going on with that child? What is going on with that child? And also, this is what I keep saying as well. I don't want to label somebody with there's something innate about you that you don't have agency, nothing can be changed. Well, what background issues are there? What background issues are but there? Some, but some diagnoses are clinical. Like, there genuinely isn't and, anything and so, that can be done okay. to change it. So, yeah, of course there are. But some diagnosis, okay, and if, if, if the diagnosis, and you're looking at this kid and think, oh, that doesn't seem to make sense to me, because I see kids, I see kids um, that have had various diagnoses who really great in the classroom really great in the classroom but they're not where they're being pushed but i see a lot of kids not being pushed i see a lot of people going oh well he's got a label and he can't do this and he can't do that 
but he can't do it. He can't do it. I teach French, and I've known kids, how many years have I told kids who were great at French, dyslexic, but great at French, in theory dyslexic. But the truth is, because I teach them phonics really well, and I run towards the high-frequency errors, the kids don't make those spelling mistakes. You know, there's so much... I just think we need to be, I do think we need to be skeptical. We need to treat people as individuals. I mean, you go, okay, I'm with this kid several hours a week. What do I see? And especially when there are labels of kids, um, you know, ADHD and so on. Mm. Because we all know that kids, even kids with ADHD, will be one teacher that behave in a certain way, another teacher that behave differently, another teacher that behave differently. You know, and again, just because a kid's got an SEND label, does that mean he's not a kid? Does it mean he can't have his ups and downs, be naughty, try it on? Because they're normal kids. I don't like this labelling. I think you've got to be very, very dubious about labelling. If you want to challenge Barry or disagree with Barry, then you've got two options. Well, actually, you've got three options. Um, option one, run for the high hills because, you know, you might think, I, I can't argue with this man. Number two... Hit the uh, request button on the bottom left and, and have your say. And if you disagree on Barry's point about um, scepticism over, over uh, uh, SEND diagnosis or, 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 or if you, you know, don't see this as, a, as an important issue and, and the sort of uh, points Barry has made about the money in, in, in SEND diagnosis and so on, if you have a, a thought on that, click that or... You can click the thing in the bottom right and just leave a comment on on Twitter. You can hit the replies and and yeah, say say what you want to say. And um, Barry, I want to ask if because I did this survey, I mentioned it at the very beginning um, a few days ago. Over six thousand teachers responded, and well, I say teachers, they could be anybody to be mm. frank, but we'll, we'll call it six. Over six thousand people responded, and. 69% said that they believe the behavior got significantly worse in the last five years, right? So I want to know if, for example, if we were to say that we agree with that 69%, theoretically, what can we, and I say we as in schools, society, the country, everybody, what, what can we do about that? What should we do about that, in your opinion, Barry? Look, society is a, is a huge... Look, what, I, what do I always say? What, what MPs will do what MPs do to protect their own career, okay? And MPs always go, well, of course, every parent wants the very best for their child. Well, maybe they don't. But MPs aren't prepared to address that. Why do kids not go to school? Because their parents don't send them, okay? Their parents aren't bought into the idea of education. Their parents don't maybe see the value of education. There are all of those factors. Society as a whole, listen, I'm 55. I'm so pleased I'm 55 and not 25. Society is not in a great place, and I don't know where it's going to go in the next 20 years or so. But I think individual schools can do a lot. I think individual head teachers, if they're supported by the trust, can do a lot to change the culture of the school to make it a genuine mutual respect culture, a warm, welcoming, friendly culture. When I go into schools, that's what I'm doing. I'm saying... This is what the start of your day could look like. This is what lesson changeovers could look like. Start of lessons, ends of lessons, break time, lunch time. This is the warmth that could exist. This is the consistency that you could have. And that's what we need. We need kids often. They spend a tiny amount of time with us. A tiny amount of time with us. 32 and a half hours a week they're with us, right? Maybe a bit longer if they've got a few clubs on, if they've got detention. 
And also within a secondary school, they might be seeing five different teachers a day, six different teachers a day. Your school might have a thousand kids more. You might have a hundred teachers, a hundred members of staff more. There's all of that inconsistency. So ahead if he's got the support of the trust and he's, if he's got the right ideas and, and he's got a real attention to detail, he can create a culture with his team and with all staff on side. It's a warm, welcoming, friendly, consistent culture where you're teaching people social niceties. You're teaching people to be grateful. You're teaching people to be kind to each other, to be nice to each other, to be considerate to each other. Pleases and thank yous. Hello, how are you? Oh, well, thanks. How are you? As the norm. That's what you can do on an individual school basis. But so you it think takes, you... it takes drive, it takes, and it takes the willingness to be attacked. Because when you say we're going to raise standards, people will attack you. Do you? I mean, I mean, that's sort of what I was going to come on to. Let's say that a school wants to adopt the approach that you that that people will know that you that you sort of. Um... Uh, promote or back or whatever, right? Yeah, but and people it, will think I uh, listen. Google yeah, me. look, Barry, I, I, I'm a Till the Hun. So what I'm saying is, I if know. you Google me and you see news headlines, I'm a Till the Hun. People that ever work with me will tell you something different. No, but also if you look at look at the um, the comments when there's a story about when I've been working in a school, da da da, da right? And the comments will be, "That's what we want, 1950s. Bring back the birds, da 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 da," which is utter rubbish. If you see me in a classroom or around school, what I'm doing is um, I see a lot of grumpy teachers. Right? I see a lot of t grumpy teachers um, who are frightened of kids. And because they're frightened of kids, they don't speak to kids. Or they're grumpy and they put on a facade because they're frightened of kids. So I'm saying, no, let's not be that. Let's present with confidence. That's what I'm showing teachers to do, present with confidence. I'm encouraging teachers saying, look, we're looking at kids, facial expression, tone of voice, body language. Oh, Johnny, try that again, please, because it didn't come across as polite. Sure, you didn't mean any harm. And we're teaching kids this every single day. Every interaction is about teaching kids to be confident talking to adults and polite in talking to adults. Well, not that Barry, can I, not that rudeness. Can I ask you a question? Because I know like, you might not be able to answer it or want to answer it. But when you, in one of your schools, we won't name the school. But in one of the schools you worked in, it was very well publicized. You went in there, you tried to, you tried, I, I suppose the headline was fixing behavior, if you want to put it in inverted yeah. commas. You went in there, you introduced a raft of new policies, you, you did XYZ, right? And I, I wanted to ask you, like, what, like, what are the, what are the challenges in that situation? Like, and where, where are those challenges come from? Because when you talk to most parents in any school, they will always say, yeah, we, we, we want the behaviour to be good. No parent turns around and we want the behaviour to be poor. Right. So Parents will say they want rules, but when it comes to push comes to shove, we want rules for other people's kids. <laughs> is often the case, yeah? When their child misbehaves, oh, no, 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 I also, he's lovely at home, you know, he's great at home, but he's not great in school. So what, what you know, everybody, nobody, no parent's going to say we don't want discipline. But a lot of parents will say, oh, well, they, what will they say? This is military. Um, I said good morning, and I'm expecting them to say good morning back. Uh, I held the door open, and I'm saying, Johnny, did you say thank you? Oh, well, that's military. It's not military. It's polite. These are social niceties. Mm. The, the pushback you get is, right, if a head brought, has brought me in, it's because he's got 
he or she has got, I was going to, uh, has got a backbone. I was going to say another part of the body. They've got a backbone. Okay? <laughs> yeah, they've don't say a, that. Sorry. They've got, a, they've got a backbone. Okay. I've been very good. I haven't sworn. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm listening to a really good book at the moment, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, uh, which is a really, really, really good book. Lots of swearing in it, but it's a very good book. Recommend it to everybody. Now, um, it's a head teacher and a trustee supporting him who have got backbone and say, listen, this culture is not good enough for the kids and it's not good enough for our staff and we're going to change things. But this culture may have gone on for some time like that. People don't like change. If, remember, I always say this. Imagine you've got 100 kids. You've got 10 diamonds, gorgeous kids, and they will thrive anyway. You know when visitors come and you're working a rough school and you roll out some nice kids to meet visitors, it's those lovely kids that really aren't representative of the culture of the school? Those 10 kids are diamonds. You've got uh, 10 kids at the other end who are really hard work and would be hard work in any school. And you've got 80 kids in the middle going, hmm, who runs this school then? Who's in charge? Where do I have to side? Who do I have to side with to be safe? Ah, the naughty kids run the school. So I'm going to behave like the naughty kids. Hmm. That's self-preservation. And that's what happens in too many schools. Some of the worst... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, some of the worst times I've felt as a teacher um, have been in a school where the behaviour's been been relatively poor. um, And that 80 in the middle um, have been quiet and subdued by that. So they've been scared to actually say anything in like even speak even even put themselves out there in any way shape or form even even be even be be silly even even negative behaviors they're too scared to even do negative behaviors because they think that they'd be laughed at for those never mind behaviors that actually you know might be aspirational They, they and that is the saddest most one of the worst when i've thought when i've got home and I've gone, right, you know, pick out a name at random, Carl, John, whatever. And I've gone, that child, their experience is to be quiet all day, every day, because they're in scared another to do school, anything. In another school, that child could shine. If the culture's right, that child could shine. Let's look at kids as individuals, which is I keep going back again. But create a culture, I was talking about e pluribus unum, out of many, one. We have to have a unified culture. That's who we are. It's what we do. You know, we. what do I do? Steps. We call each other Sir and Miss. I often call you Sir and Miss to the kids. We say, thank you, excuse me, please. When we meet people, it's our style. We're pleasant in our body language, facial expression, tone of voice. We go out of our ways to make other people feel comfortable. Hello, how are you? Have a nice weekend. Yeah, I did. Thanks very much. They're just social niceties. That's what we want to teach kids, not being sullen, showing, I don't collaborate with the teachers. No, they're the enemy. I, I don't talk to them. Kids spend an awful lot of time in lessons. I'll, 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 I don't do a lot of lesson observation because I'd rather team teach. I, don't, I think lesson observation, I don't know how useful it is. But team teaching could be good. And, but I'm watching kids sometimes when I do observe, and you see in their body language, facial expression, tone of voice, they're really making an effort to look I'm disinterested. I don't want to engage because this looks cool, doesn't it? This is what's acceptable amongst my peers. Well, you need to change that culture. So the culture is loads of hands up, joining in, articulate answers, working with the teachers. That should be the culture we're going for. And it's very lacking in many, many schools. So interesting. I mean, I I think because the pushback can come 
from all angles. You mentioned earlier, uh, Barry, about uh, support, I guess, I guess, to list a few, support of the trust, support of governors, support of, you know, external bodies. And also at the very beginning, you mentioned Ofsted. You mentioned how... Staff uh, often don't want to change because you're asking staff to do something different. They don't necessarily believe that they can do it. Remember, if you're a teacher and you have been in a dysfunctional school for years, your confidence is rock bottom. You don't believe that you are able to do this job. God, I see teachers tortured for years on end. I see teachers looking at the register and thinking, oh, Tom's not here. Thank God. Oh, Tom's arrived. Oh, we, God. Teachers go in some schools go through absolute hell. And that annoys me as well because I sometimes see, you know, senior teams in certain schools, you know, all over Twitter going, what amazing school we've got. And I think, I know your schools aren't that good. If I remember staff who's having a hell of a time in your school mm. and I saw you tweeting like that, I'd be thinking, I think you did a tweet about something similar the other day. I, I did. So my, yeah. mine was uh, about, I just put a tweet out there, which is completely true, is is seeing, it, it's, it must be, well, I know for a fact that it is deeply frustrating for mm-hmm. a teacher, a classroom teacher, who's in a yeah. situation where they are in a school where behaviour is poor like poor like not not just a little bit not just like the natural challenges that every teacher faces no i mean where you you can be left in a classroom and you literally uh there's no one around to help you if there's issues there's no one within a mile of your classroom you 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 what you have to literally search for someone to assist you you have to leave leave kids in a classroom and leave the door open and yeah, wander yeah, around yeah, corridors yeah. to try and find them, all right? And then you... And then, and then in the back of your mind... See, it, sorry, I'll just finish it, Barry. I'll just finish yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, good, good. And then those teachers see that the 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 person who is who is leading that culture is presenting about how great that culture is in terms mm-hmm, of behaviour, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. a really tough thing for a member of staff to have to deal with. You know, that's I've the seen end it so many times. I've seen it so many times. Um, and again, I was going to say, you know, say you're in that position, you feel you've got to leave the room because maybe you personally you feel unsafe or there's something going on and you want support. And then if something goes wrong, well, you shouldn't have left the room. Um, and, and, you know, and supply teachers are given, well, the work that's left for them is dreadful. That can be sorted out. I change that completely when I go into schools. Um, what we do in internal isolation can be sorted out. Internal isolation often doesn't work. Again, that's something else I work on in schools. Detentions often don't work. Something else I work on in schools. All these things are not insoluble problems, but yet these problems exist. I've been to so many schools, and again, often places often want me because they're in the window and they think, oh, well, can you can you make it a little bit better? Because Ofsted standards on behaviour are pretty low, to be honest. But can you make it a little bit better so we're good enough for Ofsted? Okay, okay. And you'll talk to staff and they'll go, well, I want Ofsted to come in. I want Ofsted to give it inadequate or all right. I want, I want everyone to know how bloody useless this SLT are. Because there are so many frustrated teachers out there. Um, uh, I mean, I, get, I guess what you're sort of getting at when it comes to behaviour getting worse, when it comes to inspection is the fact it's a two-day inspection and maybe sometimes inspectors don't even focus on behaviour within those two days. And an awful lot of time in an office. Yeah, and also when the inspectors are in, people do. I've seen this many times. Everything's a bit slack. Nobody's really pulling their weight, following the... You know, you try and launch a new initiative. You're trying to train staff. You're trying to get everybody gung-ho going for it. Um, 
and people are lacklustre because they don't want to change or they don't have that self-belief. Um, but then when Ofsted come, people step up a bit. People do step up for a couple of days. Then, whew, we got a good. Great. And then everyone slides again. That happens a lot too. Again, the system doesn't work. What you replace it with, I don't know. But the system doesn't work. Barry, I could talk to you all evening, fella. You, you really are an incredibly enthralling speaker, it has to be said. Um, <laughs> I'll be cool, I'll be cool. <laughs> you are, though. Um, and, uh, you know, but feel, if you can stay, Barry, for the next part, then please do, because I'd love to hear your sort of thoughts on what we're going to move on to next week. Well, I, with... I will let other people run. Okay, yes. I will let other yes. people well, run. But anytime, sir, I don't get out much. It's nice for me to talk to the youngsters. <laughs> right, brilliant, Barry. You take care. And, uh, right. we'll, we'll... Have a good night, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, that was Barry Smith. Uh, talking all things has behaviour got worse. And we're now going to move on to um, maths up to the age of 18. Um, Reem, are you there? I am indeed. How are you, Tom? Not too bad. And how are you? You've been, you've been very busy. Seemingly. I have been. I have been. I've just got a new job at the Institute of Economic Affairs. So free market think tank, super fun stuff. Mm, sounds interesting. Um, we are going to talk about... Um, maths up to the age of 18 um i know mark is here as well and i've sent him a little invite i'm sure nathan can can get onto that and hopefully sort out and if there are any issues um with mark joining then we can we can sort that but Reem, a big policy announcement i mean the policy announcement had already come out it had already been there um but the policy announcement was around the government want all students to study maths for longer essentially right what is your view on this room and, yeah, and so welcome I... mark as well uh, mark is here mark if you want to unmute yourself we'll just check that you're here um first and you're okay to speak <clears throat> yeah i'm here tom thanks very much brilliant thank you well i'll come to you in a minute i'll let reem answer that question first thank you yeah so i mean it was really interesting because we heard the um uh, the announcement happen when rishi sunak sort of put out his he put out his sort of five point main plan for um the country and he sort of announced that he was going to implement this policy this morning at about like 11 10 45 a.m ish he said that he's going to uh, make maths compulsory to 18. And I, I think it's incredibly liberal. Uh, it's counterproductive. And this this link between t- uh, students learning more maths and economic growth, I think, is quite a tenuous link. I don't think it actually um, really does play out in reality. It entirely takes away freedom from students at a time, you know, at a time in their educational careers where they're under so much pressure, not to mention the fact that there aren't enough teachers to, to, to teach this maths anyway. So it affects means that there'll be more more students being taught by non-specialist maths teachers. Basically, I think this is a very, very bad policy unless the government are able to actually uh, fix those teacher shortages. Why is the policy illiberal, in your words? So I, I think it's a liberal because it takes away choice from students, right? I mean, the entire point of the post-16 uh, education system is that students are able to choose their A-levels or choose to go into a vocational uh, uh, subject or go into B- do a B-Tech or do a H-Golf or do a HND. There are so many different options because students are able to choose. What this is doing is it's taking away that choice. So effectively, it means that when you, when you're, when you get to 16, you do your GCSEs, that isn't the final point where you're able to become an adult and make those choices yourself instead that choice is completely taken away from you by the government and i think that's entirely unfair i mean do you you, uh, what are the pluses 
to the policy? What what are the what are the what are the what are the I mean maybe Mark can come in here. Maybe Mark can come in. Mark, what are the what are the good things about this policy? Um well, I find it I find it very hard to think of any bad things about it, to be honest. Um <laughs> I mean, this this is not this is not new. Successive governments for decades have been trying to extend how long people study mathematics. Um, we are a strange outlier in OECD countries that we don't require everyone to study mathematics to eighteen. It leaves us at very significant disadvantage as a country. Um, we, amongst the OECD countries, we're one of the least numerate populations in the world. Um, and it has a massive impact. You know, I thought the Prime Minister's speech today was very well written. I thought the, the speechwriters did a very good job there. Uh, I thought he delivered it in quite a heartfelt way as well, actually. I think mm. he really does believe in this policy. Um, I was one of the things that was disappointing about it, I think, and disappointing about the way in which a lot of people talk about Maths 218 is it's always framed as the reason for doing it is for economic utility. So it's about the maths for your job or the maths for a, a specific course that you're studying. <clears throat> and very often it's forgotten to speak about mathematics for its own sake. Um, and yeah, I just felt that was a, a missing thing. I can't see anything wrong in the population being more mathematical in the same way I, could, I couldn't possibly imagine anything wrong with the population being more literate. Uh, well, I was going to say, because that's one of the one of the things is... Why maths? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, would you say that about why being able to why being able to speak or why being able to read? Would you say, you know, I wouldn't imagine anyone would say it about those things that it's not important that someone mm. can read or speak, yeah, or yeah. communicate. The, the fact is that mathematics, for its own sake, is a beautiful old subject. You know, I'll, I'll talk about it until the cows come home. Um, well, tell, and, tell me, Mark, why is math so great? Tell me that. Well, well, mathematics is an epistemological model. It's a, it's a very, it is a way of thinking about the very nature of knowledge itself. It's a way of thinking about how one operates in the universe. So, mathematicians adore being stuck. They adore problems. They adore challenges. And in every aspect of their lives, math, mathematicians were the original philosophers. You know, the the people who truly were in love with knowledge. Um, it is a way of it is a way of being. It's a way of conducting oneself about orientating your way through life, thinking any challenge that comes up, I'll grip it and fight with it until I overcome it. Um, yeah, so just from a from a, 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 a very personal point of view, mathematics is a sort of um, a, a sort of rule book for how to live one's life. Can um, I just can I just ask Mark? If yes, I, mean, I t totally agree. Math is a fantastic subject. I didn't choose to to, to take it after after I turned six. Uh, after I, I went into sixth form, but it is a fantastic subject, and I think it is it is very helpful. So why do we have to force students to take it? Well, I think the force thing's a bit hard, isn't it? That we are an outlier, you see, and part of this is a hangover, I think, Reem, from uh, the fact that we've only really recently raised the leaving age of education to 18. We have this strange thing at age 16 where we have GCSEs, which I would scrap entirely, by the way. I don't think there's a need for an examination at 16 now that we have raised the leaving age of education to 18 or 19. Um, and I think you could think of it as a continuum. Mathematics 
and being literate. Those two things alone <clears throat> take forget the, the fact I'm I happen to be in love with it. If you just take those two things along alone, they are the two areas of study that unlock every other area of study. So no matter what it is you want to learn, no matter what it is you want to do with your life or how you want to be, being mathematical, being literate as well, those two things unlock every other domain, every other subject, and they're ever present. So, but could you could you argue though, Mark, that like lit being literate, so being able to speak the language and understand the language, as in the words, mm-hmm. is not comparable to being able to. I know I, I completely get people slate me for this, but I'm just literally throwing out like a typical stereotype of like knowing two plus two is four or knowing, I don't know, knowing some theorem of mathematics that they, the, the, the classic argument is I need to be able to read, write and speak. Mm-hmm. I don't need maths. That would be the typical you argument. You can use a calculator. You've got your phone in your pocket every day. You've got that calculator. You know what? I, I, actually, I actually think that Mark is right in saying that maths is a very important... Oh, I'm not. I'm playing devil's advocate here. I know. I know. I know. And I think that's fantastic. And I, I think that Mark is right in saying that maths is important. I think that maths is, is an incredibly important subject. I think that I would like to see um, my students in particular become more um, uh, more numerate and more able to answer mathematical questions and more able to answer them off the top of their head or and whatever it is but i found the government's um intention behind this policy really interesting i mean the government said themselves that they're trying to equip young people with the quantitative and statistical skills to find the best mortgage deal or savings rate i'm sorry but learning more maths does not help you with that yeah i think that and, and i think it was one of the disappointing things about the announcement is wrapping it in economic utility but unfortunately, if you're going to write that speech, you have to write it in, in the context of economic utility because that's what people will easily grip and it's the thing that will grab a headline. But really what, what's being discussed here is being more mathematical rather than being numerate, uh, being more mathematical. Now, you try being, I don't know, anything at all. You try being an artist, you try being a historian, you try being a biologist, you try being a geographer without having to be mathematical. And you're not going to get very far in the same way that if you can't read or you can't communicate, you're not going to get very far in those subjects either. It is ever present. Um, You try orientating yourself through the, the future of what things that are lying ahead that we have no idea about yet the challenges that humanity faces we can't possibly even start to conceptualize and being mathematical is the thing that will defend you against those is the thing that will leave you autonomous in life leave you being able to go through an adult life with purpose and with confidence so i i also you know the the, the economic utility thing grates with me as well Reem. and part of it is that one thing our system has done yeah, is to position mathematics as two plus two, Tom, which it isn't. I mean, two plus two has pretty much nothing to do with being mathematical. Um, you know, it's part of this sort of gram- yeah. grammatical thing. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying what you know. I don't know. Someone might say down the down the yeah. uh, you know the three stags on a on a Friday night. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and you know that Tom the... represents the people. <laughs> <laughs> Man of the people. I don't know about that really. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think it's important to say as well that you know we are talking about something here becoming 
uh, sort of augmenting what we're already doing. Nobody's saying study anything less. Um, I don't think that mathematics, you probably get that I kind of love maths, um, but I don't think mathematics holds a higher place, sits on a higher plane than any other subject. It's it's no more important mm. than poetry or or art or history. It's no more important. Than but could things. you say, could you say that like like I said, Mark? Could you say that? I mean, my mum was a maths teacher. That's maybe where my hatred of maths comes from. <laughs> she forced, she tried to force me to do it all the time. <laughs> Hence, why I got a C at GCSE maths. And and to be fair. I don't even know how I got that. Like, I literally have no idea how I got a C. Well, I do, because my mum did force me to sit at the table and do sums with her, which I completely resented her for, because I literally hated it. And my mom, we used to have rows, you know, me and my mum, like, why won't you just do some maths? And I'm like, I hate maths. And, you know, I was, I, it was terrible, actually. It was horrible. She's not listening. Well, at least I hope she's not. Um, but we used to have... And... You're going to get Tom's mum angry because of this conversation. Well, it might bring school. back bad memories of me, like, storming <laughs> off like a... I'm leaving! And running off and <laughs> slamming the door sort of thing. But I think, like, the point I'm trying to make, Mark, is... for is spe- Like, look, the one I made earlier, which is speaking, reading, writing versus maths. However good maths is... Mm. Can we put it on the same plane as those things? Can we put it on the same line as those things? Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, <laughs> people people have studied this. The, the, the literature on this is just yeah, ext- it's extensive. You know, people have studied this over and over and over. You you live a longer life. You make better health decisions. You have more autonomy. You're able to jump from one career to other careers. You know, mathematics unlocks things a lot more than literacy does. Um, you know, if you actually look at the impact on something as ridiculous as lifespan, right? So mathematics, there's a greater correlation to being mathematical than there is to being literate. And the reason for that is because if you are illiterate, if you cannot read and you cannot write, you have a get out clause, you you can speak. So you can still communicate. But if you are not mathematical, there is no equivalent get out clause so, you know, you really do have to be mathematical. Part, part of the problem, though, is that you know, I, I kind of take the point about um, some pupils will think, well, flipping heck, you know, this is not really up my street, not one, not one of the things I want to do. But actually, when you dig into it, and you, you work out why does this pupil not enjoy this subject that is just phenomenal. And it's nearly always the case when you really dig into it. What's that, what the, the pupil is really saying to you is the mathematics that is shown to me in a classroom is like hieroglyphics. I can't understand any of it. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're being presented with mathematics far, far away from their developmental stage mm-hmm. uh, because the mathematics curriculum is relentless and just pushes on whether whether or not kids grip things. So, you know, we'd have to design yeah. a system that means that anything we do 16 to 18 16 to 19 it's got to be purposeful it's got to be meaningful and also like mark i have to say as well like i admire math teachers because i think it's it's a really like what you said makes perfect sense to me like when i was in school i just felt lost and then i got frustrated and then i got turned off in the subject and then you know and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. all the all the usual stuff but also like you know i was taught by a non-specialist um you know it was it was it was difficult like i was in back then what would have been the bottom set you know um for maths and you know of course back in 
the year 2001 or whatever, the attitude was, well, you know, the top sets get the, you know, the the best maths teacher per se. And, and you know, and we work our way down the five sets and then, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and hopefully that's sort of changed now, you know, and I think that approach has changed. But I do admire maths teachers in the sense of teaching maths is just bloody hard that's it i've finished that that's it um th- there's no more really to say than that it's just bloody hard and um, tom did you want to make a point or a question or something yeah i mean i could good evening um i could have called in and made a load of political points but i'm going to restrain myself and just focus on the maps at hand here um Make government... your political points, Tom. I want to no, hear. No, um, no, Tom will get that in WhatsApp later. Um, the, the government forward them over to me too. No, no, it's no. Um, the government is right to say that there is a problem with literacy and numeracy in this country. Um, you've got an issue where, um, you know, forty nine percent of adults about 17 million adults in this country have the numeracy skills of a primary school child so i think the government's approach is you know to make maths you know make people better at maths is um you know laudable however by focusing on 16 17 and 18 year olds they're just getting it wrong they're focusing on the wrong people if you're going to tackle problems with numeracy and problems with maths you've got to start young and you've got to improve maths teaching for the youngest students and you've got to improve it for primary school students and you've got to improve it at key stage three and key stage four you know focusing on 16 17 and 18 year olds isn't going to work because of the nature of maths as a subject because of how the knowledge is structured in terms of the knowledge structure of a cur- maths curriculum you know you've got students who are going to be slipping through the net through key stage one key stage two key stage three who lack their basic functional math skills and as soon as they introduce a new more advanced knowledge based on those same principles they are just you know they're just going to flounder so yes we have a problem with numeracy and literacy in this country um in terms of adults being functionally illiterate and innumerate but focusing on 16 17 18 year olds just isn't gonna work and you know um the maths but kids learn in terms of how you would calculate the best mortgage rate that's maths they should be learning at key stage three that's not maths they need to learn at 17 years old if this country okay i'm gonna make one small political point if this country had enough maths teachers if it was incentive if teaching were incentivized as a profession and you had more people coming in to teach maths because the salary was comparable to working in industry then actually you would have better maths teaching for young students and you wouldn't need this silly policy of forcing kids to do maths at 16 17 and 18 that is the end of my point, Tom. Can I, can I just, you, Tom. just add to that? Uh, Reem, yes. To, to, I, I, Tom, I think you're, you've made an absolute... Reem, can you, like, there. force Tom to, to, like, bear more of his political... Um, Tom, that was, that was fantastic! <laughs> I mean, no, it really was. And I think I think what's interesting about this is that we're hearing from real teachers' perspectives about the way yes. that maths teaching... I mean, we, you know, we've had this entire conversation about uh, whether or not compulsory maths is actually a good thing or not, or whether or not maths is an enjoyable subject or not. But the reality is we don't have enough maths teachers for this policy to even work. You know, according to the NFER, only 45% of schools currently have some maths taught by non-specialist teachers. I mean, that's crazy. And I, I, we've spoken about this before, Tom, but the reality... The real figure is probably much higher mm. and it'll undoubtedly increase if the government was to implement compulsory math to 18 without addressing the teacher shortage and i think this is a huge problem across the board not just in maths uh teachers aren't being teachers aren't paid enough first of all teachers aren't being incentivized to 
uh, to, to get to get into teaching in the first instance. I mean, why would a mathematics graduate go into education where they're going to be earning significantly less than if they were to go into tech, for example, or finance? I mean, the 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 the, the, the clear situation there is that teachers, generally speaking, in maths tend to be just people that love their subject, and they, we know that they're not being incentivized to um, to go in there. So I I actually think that ideally we would implement an element of school choice, which would allow schools to then specialise within a marketplace. And that would mean that students and families could then you know, be able to choose the pathways that suit them. And that could mean choosing a school that requires a study of maths to 18 but that could mean choosing a school that that doesn't teach any maths post 16 at all and i think that it's about allowing parents and families that choice and also in a lot of these more free market um competition systems of school choice for example in, in in some areas of the us or in or in singapore the teachers are paid significantly more so you get better quality teaching oh ring do you support that though of course i do <laughs> uh, within within no no but within certain subjects them no, 100%. I, th- I think that we should allow parents and families to, to, to choose what they want on the curriculum. I, I, I would actually, this is quite a controversial one, I would totally abolish the national curriculum and allow, yeah. allow, allow these, um, allow schools to choose the curriculum that they want. And, and that also means that families and parents are able to choose that as well. But wouldn't you get some schools that would choose a curriculum that was centred around sort of, you know, the plays of Andrew Lloyd Webber? Um, the whole thing would be, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar from age <laughs> three to, to present. Or you might get probably, another like, school. You probably, would. You'd probably get some schools that would, uh, you know, teach no classical text at all because they're all racist. And, and <laughs> well, well, so... I wasn't going to say that, but I was sort of, that was my next one, was, you know, you might get some schools that are sort of, you know... Um, going back to the year 1835 you yeah know, but you know what i think in, in, a, in a free society you should be free to send your kids that way I mean, that's that's a system with when it comes to religious schools where a lot of these um for example sex education is censored they have their own curriculums these more, uh, more private religious schools and uh, you know that they're, they're entirely selective in that sense so i think I think it's about letting letting parents and families and individuals make those choices, but also make those choices not just within the curriculum, but within schools themselves. And yeah. actually, that means that pe- that teachers are better looked after, they're better paid, you get better quality teaching, and the world will be a better place. <laughs> we've, we've got so much longer to talk about this, and I want to get into it. But before I do that, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who's been listening, but particularly people who've been listening right from the beginning, like Samuel L. Samuel Thank you for listening to this from 7.30 to now. That's a big chunk of your time. Andrew Percival, is he gone now? Is Andrew gone? Andrew's gone, but he, he was nearly about to get a shout out because he's left. I hate him. Get off. Go on then. Clear off. Yeah. Leave the conversation halfway through. Yeah. Good riddance to you. But Andrew had been here for a long time um, and lots of other people have been here since 7.30. So thank you. We appreciate it at TTR. Um, now, Tom, you've got one last chance now before I kick you out. Yeah, I'm going to go after this. Two things. First of all, we do obviously have student choice at post-16. And what is the most popular A-level? It's maths. Secondly, um, oh, I can't, what was I going to say? I mean, I mean, re, I mean I'm mean, i teaching libertarianism to my politics lot tomorrow. I might just take a snapshot of what Reem said and just play that and be like, well, there you go. Oh, my God. Let me zoom in. Yeah, let, me, let me do a um, zoom call. What, what, what was I going to say? Yeah, you've reminded me of my point now, which is, um, you know, most schools don't have to follow the national curriculum because they're academies and mm. have to follow the national curriculum. Having said that, one of the things that Ofsted cares about is, are you following the national curriculum? Even if you're mm. academy, 
and you don't follow the national curriculum, you can't be a good school. So I think if you reform Ofsted, and um, then you might actually find that a lot of schools do move away from the national curriculum in some aspects, although it is a model um, that schools are being enforced to follow. I imagine Reem might want, might want to abolish Ofsted, but I don't know. She's gone I quiet. Do, I, I, I would want to abolish Ofsted, yes. Reem wants to abolish everything, like zebra crossings, <laughs> like abolish traffic the, lights. Abolish the like... state and then turn Parliament into a Weatherspoons. <laughs> Mark, do you have any... Because, Mark, we, we've left you stranded here because a lot has happened since you last spoke. Um, <laughs> you know, it feels like the world's fallen apart since you last contributed. What, what Have you had any thoughts on anything that's been said? Well, something that's interesting. Unfortunately, a lot of it's not true. Um, <laughs> you know, Tom, Tom makes points about uh, we should focus on early years mathematics, and of course that should be true and is true. There's there's announcements today about additional support in, and additional prog- programs into primary education, and there's a lot of work going on there. But I tell you what, improving the education for a five-year-old isn't going to help a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old or 17-year-old, 18-year-old, and they bloody matter, those ones. And they're about to go off into the world, and they're left absolutely incapacitated if they go out into the world with the level of mathematical knowledge that they have right now, incapacitated. It's just not on to say we can't try to support 16, 17, 18-year-olds because we have to support young ones. We're the fifth richest nation in the world. Let's support every one of them. It's just bonkers argument. Um, and tons of effort is going into improving primary maths. And there's a hell of a lot of good people working in that sector. So, yeah, I, I hear that argument all the time that you're getting it the wrong way around, improving age 16. That's not the thing to do. Let's improve the things from day one. Of course, you improve things from day one. And then hopefully by the time they're age 16, you don't need to do anything at, at age 16. But it's not a morally defensible position to say and we just give up on everyone that's over that age over age five or six or seven um so you know i kind of kind of worry about that a little bit um as for, <laughs> or a lot <laughs> or a lot yeah um you know if you look at fe at the moment fe teachers are the last bastions of hope the, the people that work in 300-odd FE colleges around the, around the country are just remarkable. They're faced with hundreds of thousands of young adults who have been labelled as failures in mathematics, and they're trying to do everything they can possibly do for those young people during 16 to 19, and they almost exclusively fail. Every single person doing GCSE reset at FE college almost exclusively fails, nearly the whole bunch, because what we do with them is they arrive in September and we say, oh, you've got to sit in November reset. They've got to sit a June one. You fell that as well. And it's okay. You could do a November one next year and then a June one, then a November one, then a June one. And they fail six more exams before they leave instead of doing what we could do, which is to say, okay, you're a 16-year-old adult. Maths has been a bit dodgy for you to this point. Let's work out where you're truly at mathematically and build from there over the next two or three years that we're, you're with us so that you leave here more mathematical. And one um, of the issues is the the, the qualification structure um, forces FE teachers down a route of failing and failing and failing these students. Yet when you talk to FE teachers, none of them want to do that. They all want to teach a meaningful mathematics course. 
So the big challenge here is going to be come July when a group of experts say, this is the mathematics they should study, this is the sort of qualifications they should follow. Whatever's said at that moment will determine whether or not this is a policy doomed to fail or a policy that could really make an enormous difference uh, to the country. Mark, I want to sort of, I know Tom, I've told Tom I'm going to kick him out like three times now, but Tom, Mark has said that your point is completely bonkers, so I don't know whether you Morally indefensible, I believe it was. It is indeed, Uh, yeah. It's been a while since I've been called back, which is my, no, I haven't been called back, my argument is that. Um, I I think there's a mindset in a lot of schools and um, that ultimately kids come into year 11 and they're behind and there are gaps in their knowledge and we've got to intervene, 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 do anything. The most successful schools and the best schools pick up these kids when they join in year seven and they start to plug the gaps from year seven and then into year eight and into year nine and don't just wait until four years until they get into year 11 and then go, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Because by then the gap is too big to close. So closing the gap strategies in terms of ensuring that students are not left behind in a subject like maths where the knowledge structure is something very different to my subject of history um, I think is so utterly vital and that's why we should be prioritising and maximising the investment going into the younger years because if we don't close those gaps by the time they get to the age of 16 then I think that is pretty morally indefensible myself. But there's there's not a single person involved in mathematics education in this country who's arguing for not improving early mathematics. Not a single person. Oh, I'm not blaming for mathematics educators at all. Not one bit. I'm saying that government investment into education, but paying maths teachers a proper salary, paying all teachers a proper salary, ensuring that you get the very, you know, there are some math teachers are excellent. They do a fantastic job. I'm very fortunate to work at a school with a simply brilliant maths department, and I go to them for a lot of things. Um, and I and I know that maths teachers up and down the country are excellent. We need more of those excellent, brilliant maths teachers so that we can free up our maths teachers. Yeah, but Tom, what do we have strategies that... like we see in Singapore, which only work because teachers have PPA, because teachers have the time to respond to feedback, which we don't have. So I can't blame maths educators. It's a more yeah, structural Tom, more government point... failure. I think the point that Mark was making, and Mark can correct me if I'm wrong here, was that if there is a pot of money, you were saying that that should be, your argument was that that should be, there's one pot of money, you were saying that that pot of money should be invested from, you know, key stage one, two, three, going upwards. So the more money would, would be the lower down the scale. Whereas what wherever the gaps begin to appear, yeah, yeah. But your original point was it, it that that pot of money should be, you know, let's say you've got key stage one, two, three, four written down on a piece of paper. There's one pot of money, however big that pot of money is, and that money should be invested younger for youngest first. I mean, that was your original point, and I think Mark's objection was he disagreed with that, and he was saying that. Well, what are you saying, Mark? Are you saying that that money should be equally put across? Or are you saying saying it should be more in the older students? No, I'm saying do all of it. I'm saying we're in... I think that's what Tom's basically saying. But I'm saying if there's one pot of money, then I suppose you could either stagger it, you know, for ages, or you could just put it all on everything. But there isn't one pot of money, Tom. So Mm. today, just in the announcement today, which was, you know prima facie about post-16 mathematics, 
Um, but actually, most of the announcement was about investment into primary mathematics today. It was about expanding the maths project. It was about um, the new qualification for teachers of, of mathematics in primary schools. It was about extending uh, the, 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 um, the numeracy project up to year four. Um, yeah, it was most, most of the investment announcement today was about primary mathematics. None of the investment announcement today was about post-16 because that is yet to come. Um, and I'm, I'm just saying, why the hell don't we do all of it? You know, how can it be that out of the OECD countries, of which we are one of the wealthiest, how can it be that everyone else can pull this off? Well, you know, Australia can pull this yeah. off. The United States can pull this off. Why can't we pull this off? Just Brexit, where... Mark. Sorry, that, that was a silly comment by me. Um, but just sort of throw it in there. Um, <laughs> it can't be the answer to everything. <laughs> no, it can't. It can't. It can't. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I want to throw this out there. I'm going to kick Tom now. Tom, I'm really sorry. I'm oh, kicking you. See you later. I'm on five. Love you. Bye. Um, okay. Oh, did he say love you too? It was very nice if he did. Did he say that, Mark? Did he just say I love you too? I don't know. I was coughing at the time, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's say he was. Yeah. <laughs> um, if any other, if any other, we've we've got about ten minutes. If any other maths teachers, we've got loads of maths teachers here. If any other maths teachers want to come and share their view, we, I would love to hear from a maths teacher right now on what your opinion is on the whole maths up to eighteen thingy. Um, and whether you have like a different view or the same view or whatever. So if you're a maths teacher listening right now, please click the little button in the bottom left that has the little blue icon in it. Do you agree with the government's focus on... Well, there's two parts to this. Do you agree with the government's focus on maths in particular? That's part A. Because there is a... There is a I think you'd agree with that, Mark, that there is... The government have said, we are focusing on maths by coming out with this policy, haven't they? Well, they, they, in a way, they actually said that having heavily focused on literacy for yes. the last decade well, through phonics, it's now time to ramp up the focus Max. on mathematics. Yeah. So my question part A is to anyone out there, anyone else who wants to sort of dial in is, is that focus correct? Do, do you agree with that focus? If you're a math teacher, maybe you disagree with it. We might have a math teacher who disagrees with that. Um, and my part B is. Can it practically be implemented? And my part C is, do you agree with Mark that the argument that Tom made earlier about the sort of fact that there's this focus on 16 to 19 um, in the government, because the government policy focuses on extending maths further post 16. And I think I think one of the, the, the arguments that Tom made, which I sort of personally Agree, say agree with but i certainly get it is that by 16 mark and i think i heard you disagree with this but correct me if i'm wrong by 16 a lot of kids are already disillusioned so trying to turn them back at 16 is much harder than getting them earlier yeah it enjoy maths no it's not it's not difficult. <laughs> it's not difficult it's not difficult in the least as long as the qualification structure isn't forcing those 16-year-olds to repeatedly fail, fail like uh, failures. If, if you take a 16-year-old who's been completely switched off mathematics, completely struggled with mathematics, and you say to them, look, we're going to go back and start where you're already secure. We're going to build up so that your every experience of mathematics feels like success, feels like you're winning, then they 
easily fall in love with it and it's a doddle to pull off <clears throat> and you see this happening in sixth form colleges and fe colleges where teachers think you know what bugger the research or bugger the exam i'm going to do what's right for this human being in front of me i'm going to make them more mathematical but that's rare because everyone's forced down this funding route of i've got to get them through an exam got to get them through an exam the thing they keep failing over and over so you know this is the big challenge will the expert group come up with a qualification proposal that actually works uh, and there are ways in which we can do this um but i i'm doubtful that that's where we'll go i think we'll go down quite a sort of anodyne uh standard qualification route that we've got just now instead of one that can actually solve this problem but what does the qualification route have to do with the child becoming disillusioned with maths by 16 why well, does the qualification <clears throat> impact that? Well, because what's happening in the curriculum is the curriculum is on a kind of relentless journey towards a GCSE grade. And that journey just drags along and along and along and along. And it doesn't take any note of whether an individual pupil has gripped any of the mathematical ideas in that journey. And if you miss out some mathematical ideas, mathematics is a hierarchical subject. If you don't grip an earlier mathematical concept, future mathematical concepts are based on earlier mathematical concepts. So if you don't grip an earlier mathematical concept, you can't grip the ones that come after it. So a lot of pupils, and I would say the majority of pupils in, in England schools for sure, the majority of pupils are sitting in mathematics lessons where the mathematics being shown to them is not the right mathematics for them. It's either too easy or too difficult. And very, very few pupils happen to just by fluke be learning at exactly the same pace that the curriculum is plowing on. at. So, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. It hasn't always been like this. It's a very, it's a very, very modern invention, this conveyor belt curriculum that we have. And we could just, we could undo that. We could say, actually, let's consider it every individual pupil as a real human being at some point in learning mathematics take that seriously where they're at and build from there. And when you do that, it's a doddle. It's an absolute doddle to get anyone to fall in love with it. Even if they've had 15 years of thinking, well, this is a pile of crap, you can still make them fall in love with it. I don't know about that, Mark. I, I don't. But the thing is, I... the thing is, Tom, I do know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I'm speaking as I, I'm saying, like you're saying it's a doddle to make a child fall in love with maths, mm -hmm. right? Why or how do you think that is the case? Because I've done it with countless children, even the most disillusioned, the most switched off, the most anti-mathematics children you could possibly imagine. And I've seen many other people do it with countless children <laughs> yes. over and over and over. But the thing is, it requires you to have a bit of guts. It requires you to say, you know what, if someone comes in here and inspects whether I'm following a curriculum or if someone come in here, comes in here and inspects whether I'm doing... I don't know, a three-part lesson on communicating mathematics through the medium of paper mache mime, um, <laughs> you can say, no, up yours. I'm going to do mathematics properly. So it requires a bit of gut. Then one of the big issues is this, this massive shortage, this so-called shortage of mathematics teachers, which there is not, by the way. There's a massive surplus of mathematics teachers. Um, but people perceive that there's a massive shortage of mathematics teachers. And that's a, quite a good thing, because basically, as a mathematics teacher, you're unfireable. So, you know, stuff it. Do what's right. Do what's right for the kid. Do what's right for the human being. 
sitting in front of you um, and you'll be all right you know as a, a, I think I think uh, educating Rita isn't it the only way you get fired is if you bugger the bursar well you know <laughs> you're not going to get fired you're going to be okay and I mean, I I agree with the, with not the last comment, but I agree with <laughs> I agree with the premise that as a math teacher, you can sort of you, like if they were if a school was to put a math teacher on accountability, it costs them like five grand to to replace them. In, yeah, I, in I adverts on TED. <clears throat> I <laughs> jest, know. obviously, I jest. Yes, uh, I know you jest, and it was lovely to hear that. Um, Adam, do you want to say something? Um, yes, please. So the question that I would like to pose um, um, is about whether maths could be more integrated into sort of vocational courses, BTECs and relevant A-levels, um, because we've talked a lot about how to get maths more relevant for people at that 16, 17 um, kind of age. And one solution I thought about was having it more integrated in a more relevant way in particular subjects. So, for example, my background is in psychology um, and uh, and uh, there's a lot of data handling and sort of analysis with that. So maybe by having maths more integrated into subjects like that where it's relevant for your subject, that could be one way of improving things. Mm. Mark? Um, I, t I totally get the sentiment. Um, and I think that the only disappointing thing I heard the Prime Minister say today, mm. and it was not in his speech, it was when he was responding to questions, it was kind of off the cuff. Um, he said, you know, it's more fun to learn um, how to do, I can't remember, a free kick rather than to learn about vectors, something like that, he said when he was speaking. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was the most disappointing thing. And it's a trap that we fall into a lot in education of thinking the way in which we get people to engage with mathematics is to contextualize it into something they're interested in. And I, I get it, I get the sentiment, but I would really counsel against that. I would really recommend avoiding that. If I think of, say, some of the work that I do, for example, involves artificial intelligence, okay? Now, when I was a child at school, artificial intelligence didn't exist, right? Nobody knew what that was. So how is it that I'm able to work in the field of artificial intelligence? Well, I didn't learn about it. I didn't put my mathematics in that context. I simply became learned. I learned the discipline. I learned mathematics. And what this, this whole thing of mathematics for the job that the pupil is going to do we have no idea what they're going to do and they have no idea what they're going to do and some curveball is going to come up in the future that we can't possibly imagine so to protect against that the best thing to do is rather than trying to make uh, the mathematics some sort of uh, mathematics be some kind of urgent problem of the day and something that needs to address something that is that is contextualized right now instead of doing that we teach them to be mathematical and being mathematical is about whatever problems come up at any point in the future. You have a toolkit of ways of thinking, of ways of being that allow you to overcome those things. So I, I kind of worry about that contextualized mathematics idea. Adam, any further thoughts on that? Maybe not. Oh, go on. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
So what I'd be curious to know about is why you think um, that contextualization won't have the desired effect of getting more people into maths or improving the standard of maths that people come out with. Well, there, there are a couple of things to it. So I, mean, I could talk about this for, for hours, Adam. Um, there are a couple of things to it. So when you're learning mathematics, learning mathematics is a difficult thing to do, like learning anything. It's being, becoming acculturated is a difficult thing to do. It requires a great amount of attention. And giving attention in mathematics is about giving attention to mathematical structure, to underlying principles, to boundary conditions. When you contextualize that mathematics, pupils' attention is often drawn to the context rather than to the mathematics themselves. And you risk decreasing the amount of mathematical learning that's going on there. So that, that would be one of the things that I would, I would counsel against, uh, one of the reasons. But the, other, the main reason is that there, there is perhaps a misunderstanding about what, what mathematics is here. Mathematics isn't just to serve the purposes of other disciplines, of other subjects, of other things of studying. It is its own thing. And I want everyone to be able to experience learning mathematics for the sake of mathematics itself, for its own intrinsic beauty, its own nature, um, and trying to shoehorn it into, I don't know, automotive engineering or health and beauty or whatever it is you want to try and shoehorn it into, which, and I appreciate why people do that, I think you lose a bit of the beauty of mathematics itself. And I just personally want everyone to feel that because I know how good that feels. Adam, I don't know whether you want to sort of respond to that or did that sort of answer your question? Or Yeah, thank you, Mark, for explaining. Brilliant. Yeah, um, we've got Alex here. Alex, do you want to throw something into this conversation about intrinsic... Uh, Mark has already admitted he is in love with maths. Um Alex, are you in love with maths? Do you want to unmute yourself, the bottom left? Um, no, <laughs> no, I'm not in love with maths. Um, but I am in love with um my subject, which was originally history, um, and I've sort of moved on from there. And I'm in love with the fact that people are in love with their subjects. I think sometimes we yeah. are not necessarily. I think we're sort of trying to shoehorn pupils into specific yeah. subjects and what we need yeah. to be doing is fostering a love of learning in whatever they choose to fall in love with which if it's maths fantastic but I think you know it starts very young in primary schools we need to be fostering that love of learning I don't necessarily think maths to 18 will do that particularly you know in in secondary school students do have a way of if they feel forced into a certain discipline or a certain subject, they have a way of rebelling against that. Well, could, you argue that could you argue, though, that they, there are compulsory subjects from the very beginning? So surely that, that, that argument would be that it should be a free-for-all from the start. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but then towards 18, hmm. I think at that point, you know, are we... Are we sort of allowing pupils then to be able to make their own decisions? Mm. Well, Mark, I think Mark disagrees. Mark, do you, do you, you, I think you disagree with that. But again, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, should they be allowed to make their own decisions? Well, one of the things at we know 16, about at sixteen. One of the things we know about learning 
Um, I don't think I don't think this is controversial. I think this is quite widely accepted. One of the things we know about learning is that everyone, adults, children, you, me, everyone is pretty poor at choosing the optimal conditions for learning, for their own learning. Um, and that's why we have teachers and that's why we have an education system. That's why we have expertise that's built up around education. So, you know, fair enough. It feels kind of funky and uh, right on to say, let them choose whatever they want to do. But when I was 17, I'd have just chosen to sit in the field getting stoned all afternoon and not really learn very much. Um, and, and many afternoons I did. But, you know, it's it's not it's not necessarily a good thing to say to a 17 year old choose your conditions for learning but i do get the point you know that there are lots and lots of things you could learn like learning is massive there are all sorts of disciplines why not study other subjects well you know alex is a is an historian um i love history um and of course to be a historian you'll be a lot better at being a historian if you're mathematical Right? If you're able to problem solve, if you're able to interpret it, interpret data, if you're able to interpret trends, you're going to be better at doing that thing. And it's to do with this sort of ever-present nature, this universal language that mathematics is that allows you to explore and enjoy all other disciplines. And they, can't, they might be school disciplines, but they're going to be things beyond school as well. I just can't see any drawbacks to everyone being a bit more mathematical and a bit more literate. I can't see any drawbacks to it at all. And the current situation that we have, where huge numbers of adults, 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds, huge numbers of them are operating at a mathematical level equivalent of five, six, seven, eight year old child, and they're then going to go out into the world, they're going to face real hardship. You know, if you're if you launch yourself into your adult life operating mathematically at the level of an infant you're going to feel real hardship throughout your adult life and it's hard to undo that and i just think why would we not as a society want to give them the best possible tools for an autonomous purposeful meaningful happy adult life so but mark there, there are those who would say that there is a limited amount of curriculum space mm -hmm. so so as much as you know, I understand it's your subject and it's great. And, and yeah, and I understand the deficiencies that many students have in maths, but they also, as Tom highlighted earlier, have those same deficiencies in speaking, reading, writing, things that many would argue are even more important than what you've just said. So how do we, uh, well, I might let Alex come in. Alex, I don't know whether, because you made the original point, so I don't know whether you want to sort of make a point there with what Mark said or whether you agree or disagree with anything he said. Um, no, I, I completely agree. He makes, a, yeah. he makes a really fair point. You know, the, I think as a historian, there's a lot of maths that perhaps I don't necessarily understand that I'm using on a day-to-day -day basis. Um I suppose, I mean, we are talking in the hypotheticals here, but I suppose what would maths look like at 18? And how would that be translated into the classroom? If it's going to be functional and allow for, you know, adults with a better functionality in maths, that's fantastic. But if we're looking at perhaps a, a more in-depth degree of maths, it might be quite off-putting to young adults at that point which again yeah I totally agree 
you don't always know what's best for you, particularly when you're younger, particularly when you're a teenager. Um, but at some point, there needs to be a line drawn and you need to be allowed to choose. I'm just thinking back from when I was eight, you know, 16, 17, if someone would have told me that my maths journey would have continued through to 18, I think I would have been quite unhappy with that. But, you know, I do recognise that's just my experience with maths. I think there's there's something there, isn't there, Alex, about um, when you were at school, the school leaving age um, was generally recognised as 16, right? And there's, there's now a cohort of children coming through school where yeah, a few of them kicked their heels a little bit when the school leaving age was increased. But they've come through school knowing that that's the case, knowing they are going to stay in educational training through to through through to 18 so there's maybe a little bit of a difference in the psychology of those pupils coming through um so you know i think that that's that's a really important thing the point you make about what mathematics is studied is the key one you know in in july this expert group will come back and say this is the maths i think people should study and if if that response is anything other than the mathematics individuals should study is the mathematics that is correct for those individuals. If it's anything other than that, then there's a policy doomed for failure. You know, if it's an idea of we're going to shoehorn everyone through some same qualification, regardless of their previous attainments in mathematics, and we would take no account of where they are in their current learning, it's a policy doomed for failure. And I'm hoping that won't be the case. I'm hoping the expert group comes back and says, look, the most appropriate thing to do with every single 16 to 18 year old is make sure they're studying some mathematics at a developmentally correct stage for that individual, such that they themselves progressively get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better um, at thinking mathematically. But I don't hold out great hope that that's going to be the case. We have officially run out of time. Mark, can I just say you've been an absolutely fantastic guest and you've made some incredibly interesting points. So thank you very much. Thanks um, very much, Tom. Alex and Adam, thanks very much for calling in and sharing your questions and views. Um, as always, you've been listening, everybody, to Teachers Talk Radio. We are always live. And then this is also available as a podcast afterwards. So if you have a friend who might be interested in this, uh, you can eat, and they're on Twitter. You can just send them this link. But even better, it will be published as a podcast tomorrow morning on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the other ones that you could think of, and you can listen to it there or share it on your own socials. Um, uh, also, uh, massive thanks to Barry Smith. If you missed Barry in the first thirty minutes, you should definitely listen back to this as a podcast because it was it was fantastic. If you miss Reem uh, and Tom and all the other people who joined in, then definitely worth. Um, listening back because it was it was really really interesting um, tonight's discussion um, a massive shout out to finish off to John Cat, who partner with us and sponsor all our shows on Teachers Talk Radio you can see them on the pinned tweet if you visit johncatbookshop.com you can see all of their new titles and get a discount maybe on one of your favourite ones um, so head over there johncatbookshop.com see them, check out their new releases uh, we've got plenty of other uh, shows coming up with John Cat authors um, to find out more about what they've got coming out soon. Um, we are back on TTR. I think Nathan will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think tomorrow now is when we are on. Yes, tomorrow 
Um, and I think it is 6pm that we're back. But again, Nathan can correct me on that. But anyway, tomorrow evening, you've got live shows coming up on TTR. So hope to see you then. Thanks very much for listening and see you all. Speak to you all soon. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.